this is Dr. Liz, and it is just an absolutely gorgeous day here in South Florida. It is like in the 70s, mid-70s or so, and beautiful, windy, like it feels cool to us. And I know <laughs> that's like completely insane for the rest of the country right now. It's like late, late October when I'm recording this, and um, most of the country is is already pretty cold, but it is gorgeous for us. I really wish it was this way all year round. So just to give you an idea of what the weekend is like here, what I decided to do is do a part two around dissociative disorders and what is dissociation. Because I was reviewing this with one of my friends, the previous episode with one of my friends, and she had so many like great questions that I thought oh, my listeners are going to have these same questions. Like, let me go ahead and do a part two, and then hopefully that'll answer some of them and give you a better idea of what I'm talking about. So first, I'm going to talk about what is a dissociative state in positive dissociative states, and also negative or dysfunctional dissociative states. And then I'm going to talk about dissociative identity disorder and some about borderline personality disorder and how it differs and, um, you know, there's some overlap there and also when to get help. Like if you really think you have one of these or you're dissociating in a really negative way, when do you get help? Like when, when do you seek it? So that's, that's my goal here in this um, episode. So let's talk about positive first right? We, I often will call this a semi-hypnotic state when someone is daydreaming or really getting into a book, like everything fades away, right? You're driving home and it's just like you're on automatic. Sometimes getting ready in the morning is on automatic. We all go into these states during the day. You know, another way to think about this is athletes, right? When they're in the flow, like they talk about everything drops away. They are just in the zone. That is really like a semi-hypnotic dissociative state right there. Like it's a positive one. It works really well for their lives. And you know, it's, everybody sees that as positive, but that's what it feels like. Artists will talk about this when they're creating writers. Absolutely. Like I could speak for myself when I start to write often time disappears <laughs> and I will look up at the clock and be like, Eek! like I have 10 minutes to get ready eat and go, you know, so the time just absolutely disappears. That is like a dissociative state, but that's a positive one that works for my life or may work for your life. Therapists sometimes describe this too, when they're in their flow with the client, who's like working really hard and you'll look over the clock and you have five minutes left in the session. And again, it's like, oh my gosh, we only have five minutes left. So most people have some sense of what this feels like when they're working well, or often business people will talk about this and like they're making a business deal and they're in it and they're in negotiations and everything drops away, right? It's very similar to that. Often though, a dissociative state feels more like unreal, like everything else on the outside doesn't feel as real. So let's talk about how it shows up negatively or sometimes goes into dysfunction. Okay, so addiction is a perfect example of this. Addicts often describe this when they're in addiction or right before an addictive episode. So overeaters, 
sex and love addicts, gamblers, you know, the casino itself creates a dissociative state like on purpose, right? They have no clocks, no windows, no sense of time passing. There's free alcohol everywhere. You know, that is like, oh, you're entering into a world and forgetting everything else. But when you really look at like gambling addiction, that will often um, be the case. They'll talk about the dissociative state. Drug users and alcoholics absolutely describe this. And often the pull is to enter into the dissociative state, right? To forget everything. They want to escape. But really, that dissociative state starts like right before then. All types of addicts will describe this though. Like something takes them over and they want to do the addictive activity, even though they know it's not good or safe for them. Like they know that. If you've ever, like overeaters, absolutely talk about this like the sense of them watching themselves eat something that they shouldn't be eating they know is bad for them it's gonna lead to a binge or whatever but they're they're still doing it not even feeling grounded not feeling like themselves um and they'll talk alcoholics will talk about blackouts where awful things can happen awful and they have zero memory of it okay now technically that's a dissociated state but it's induced by a substance so that's sort of a completely different animal that is not dissociative identity disorder um you know it's not considered that at all because it's substance induced but that is similar to what i'm talking about and when you talk to alcoholics where something horrible has happened during a blackout you know how destructive it can be like they will cause accidents they will have um they will go off on loved ones you know sometimes violence occurs and they go to sleep and they wake up and they have no memory of it but yet they have to face those consequences of what happened so that is one type of like negative dissociative state. Okay, often the very first work in addiction is to make a list of triggers, things that set you off and often lead up to it. And these can be subtle, like a phone call that doesn't go well or a particular relative that triggers them. Um, A more obvious one is like driving by a bar for an alcoholic. They'll often have to change their driving patterns. Same with stalkers who who fall into like sex and love addiction, right? They'll have to change the complete way that they drive so that they don't do that really negative, destructive activity. When you start to look at triggers, you're, you're saying, okay, what triggers you into addiction? What triggers you into that dissociative state, that dysfunctional state? What triggers you into wanting to use And then the next step is often to make a list of things that are healthy for them. So what can you do other than go into that state when you're triggered? And most ex will tell you, like, call their sponsor, call their therapist, call another person in the program or a friend, turn it over to their higher power or prayer, um, taking a walk, going to the gym, right? These are all very individual and personal, but it's a list of these things that you can do other than go into addiction until the feeling of being triggered passes, which eventually it generally does, right? So when I talk to people, I I say, like, you can do this at home. You can make this list. I have talked to people over the years that stop addiction on their own. It's not very common, but it is possible to do that often before it gets really bad or destructive. Like when someone's seeing the first signs of addiction, they can do that. Um, 12 step hands down is 
is one of the most effective treatments for addiction, but it's not a fit for everybody. So sometimes it's a therapist that, that helps them along. Sometimes it's 12 steps. Sometimes it's um, like a Buddhist addiction program for people who really don't have any kind of, um, don't, or don't want a religious kind of affiliation. Like, you know, there's all different types of programs. But what I'm saying is that, you know, this is a great thing to do at home, no matter what you're facing. If you're facing something that triggers you or some kind of activity that you feel like is addictive and is not healthy for you at home, make your list of triggers. Like, figure it out. Like, let's see, okay, what's setting me off here? What's happening right before I do that so that I can catch that sooner? And now let me make a list of all the positive things I can do so that I don't do that thing right so just want to throw that out there um I do want to say too that hypnosis is not a primary treatment for addiction like it can help absolutely it can be supplemental but it it's not going to cure your addiction so I just want to say that very clearly like don't go spending money on hypnosis at claim to cure you of like alcoholism or stop drinking like no 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 you need to be in treatment really if it's to that point um if it's not to that point yet like yeah it can help you change those patterns and habits absolutely if it's not really to the addiction point yet but once you're really at addiction point it can be complimentary but it's not going to cure it the exception to this is can anyone guess can you guess smoking Right? Smoking, hypnosis for stopping smoking, smoking cessation is like incredibly effective. It's about 85% effective and often in one session. So the package I offer in person is one to three sessions. It's three session package. But often people don't need session two and three. Like one does it. And I've heard that from my hypnotherapist friends over and over again. So that is an exception. But if you're really talking about food, drugs, sex and love, alcohol, gambling, hypnosis can help, but it's not going to be the only thing that you should use, really, is my opinion on it. My opinion, that's it, right? So back to dissociation. We've gone a, a little bit away from it. Um, before I want to talk about this, I want to say that I'm not an expert on dissociative identity disorder, DID. I see a lot of borderline personality disorder in my practice, and I love my borderlines. Oh my gosh, love them, love seeing them. And there's some overlap sometimes between DID and BPD, which is borderline personality disorder. There's definitely dissociation going on with BPD, particularly when someone's overwhelmed with negative emotions like fear, anger, sadness, anxiety will come up. They'll start to feel dissociated and real, surreal, they'll say, like they're not really present. And sometimes the feelings start to take over and they'll do things that when they're in their right mind they really wouldn't do and this can be really scary for them sometimes like they're not sure they're in control they don't feel in control and then they get scared by that feeling and you know it, it's sometimes fueled by compulsion in that moment it's very similar to what addicts describe like they know they shouldn't be doing that but they don't feel like they can stop themselves the, the difference here between like BPD and DID is that a DID will have amnesia for stuff they do or switch into a completely different personality, a state, a different self. Addicts, we'll talk about the addicts, quote unquote, air quotes there, coming out. 
And sometimes they'll even give him or her a name, but they're aware of the addict, they're aware of what they're doing. To be dissociative identity disorder, there's not addiction going on, first of all. Blackouts are not DID, like I've said, but they also have amnesia for that state. Okay, there's two or more distinct personalities going on that come and go. They have their own set of mannerisms and ways of talking and doing things and with amnesia for the other personality or what the other personality did. Like journal entries they don't remember writing or shopping they don't remember doing. Like stuff will just show up in their closet. I mean, to make a joke here, like that would be wonderful if stuff showed up in my closet, right? (laughs) I didn't have to go shopping. I really do not enjoy shopping. Like, oh my God, a whole new outfit. I mean, it'd be wonderful if it fit the personality I was in, but (laughs) I just want to say that. I'm just making a joke here. Um, But anyway, like, let's see. Shopping they don't remember doing, or an example that the presenter gave at the workshop I just attended is she had a client that would start to run. Like the runner would come out, her runner personality, and run miles. And she would find herself somewhere else without her car, like her car's back wherever it was and with no memory of how she got there okay that is dissociative identity disorder where that a whole nother personality is coming out that can do that and there's absolutely no memory of you know what happened in between so i know this is hard to imagine sometimes the person can report this or loved ones or friends can report this so friends is often how people start to figure this out actually there's this whole like don't you remember doing X, X, and X conversation that goes on? And they're like, uh, no, you know? So, um, so yeah, that's when they start to get a clue. Like, what's going on here? It's also not part of cultural or religious practices. So religious, there's some religions that speak in tongues and, you know, want to create that dissociative state going on. That's not DID. Um, imaginary friends right that's not did and kids i love imaginary friends and kids oh my gosh um you know that's a that's a lovely experience that children have that's not did so don't worry about that if you're a parent so what's the work in therapy and with hypnosis that's the question here the work with hypnosis how it can be helpful for did is to increase awareness of those other personality states so that the person does have more control, so that the personalities can talk to each other and get to know each other, what's going on, communicate, to decrease amnesia and work more towards what we call entwining, right? Functioning better with awareness, feeling grounded, feeling real, not dissociating. Um, Again, I'm not an expert on DAD, but I'm willing to sometimes take on a client in my practice because I have quite a bit bit of experience with treating dissociation through um, borderline personality disorder and through some addiction work that I've done. And I also have excellent support and colleagues to call on to consult with. So Diane Lindner in Miami has been on the board of FISH forever. She's an expert in this. I'm actually hoping to have her on the podcast soon. That would be awesome to talk about her amazing work. So, you know, if you have resources to call on as a therapist, where you've really studied some of this and you know some of the ins and outs and you have colleagues that you can talk to, you know, that, that's a good place to be in terms of seeing DID. Um, for BPD, which I do have a specialty in, it's working on grounding 
when the first signs of dissociation start. So if you're at home and you're having some experience of dysfunctional or negative dissociation, you know, emotion often will take over that thinking brain. So we make lists, and you can do this too at home, of grounding activities that you can do that you can pull out and look at and then choose to do something off of that list to get the thinking brain working again, right? We work on mindfulness, which is a huge component of DBT, dialectical behavior therapy. We can use those mindfulness exercises to increase awareness of what's going on in the moment and to decrease dissociation. And then we can use hypnosis for them also to practice what we call anchors, which is an action that you can take to feel grounded and sane. And, you know, anchors is such a lovely word, right? Like, what does an anchor do? It connects you. It connects you to the ground, to the earth, like a ship drops anchor into the ocean, right? And it's really into the earth, way below, so the ship doesn't float away. It's the same thing that we're doing when we're creating that hypnosis. We're creating a lovely technique, a small action or a hand motion someone can do to bring them back to a relaxed state, to bring them back to feeling grounded. Like you can't be anxious when you're in relaxation. They're opposites. So we work on how do you get into that relaxed state. To wrap this up here, it's running pretty long. Um, when do you seek help? When it causes disturbances or pain in your life, when it causes distress or impairment in functioning, meaning like it's affecting your job or it's affecting your mothering or your fathering, it's affecting your relationships, your work or your children, or maybe it's just causing you personal distress. Like you can be really high functioning, borderline or um, DID or a really high functioning addict, right? Like you have it together on most areas of your life and then you have this one area that's like, oh geez, oh yeah, no, this isn't working here. So when it starts to get painful, like yeah, that's a great time to seek help, right? Like yes, let me get some help with this. Let me feel better. Let me have this not affect my loved one so much. Um, let me have a happier experience of life. That's when you get some help. Hopefully this answered a little bit more of your questions about dissociative states and how they function in people's lives, how they may function in your own life. Again, um, you can always reach out. Let me know your thoughts. I'd absolutely love to hear them around this topic. It's fascinating to me. I love talking about it. So make sure you email me. You can do that um, through my website, hypnotizemepodcast.com. Always looking for those letters and discussions. All right. Have a wonderful day. Peace, people. Want free hypnosis files or to learn more about Dr. Liz, her books, products, and services? Head over to drlizhypnosis.com to get in on all the great resources. If you liked this episode, do Dr. Liz a favor and rate, review, and subscribe over at iTunes. Or better yet, tell a friend about the podcast so we can continue to grow our amazing audience. Lastly, be sure to send in your feedback to Dr. Liz at drlizhypnosis.com. That's D-R-L-I-Z at drlizhypnosis.com. We love to hear from you.